The title of our lesson this morning is The Resurrection and Then the Kingdom. We're going to talk about Acts uh, 1, 1 through 11. We talked about that in class this morning. And not that Brian didn't do a good job of that, he did. Uh, but I just wanted to elaborate on that uh, this morning and think about the sequence of events that takes, uh, takes the place there in Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. I'll go ahead and pull up this introduction slide here. <clears throat> and I want to emphasize resurrection and then the kingdom. And what you see in Acts chapter 1, there is a teacher there. That is the classroom. And then there is a curriculum that is being taught there in Acts chapter 1. And that curriculum that is being taught by that master teacher is the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. And then we'll expand on that and we'll mention the certainty of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, and then the scope of the kingdom as we see it kind of revealed there in Acts chapter 1. Now, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, I want you to kind of listen to this. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Think about that. Think about the sequence that Luke is revealing there in those first three verses. I wrote to you about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And then he suffered. And then he appeared. And then he taught again. And then he was taken up. So during that time in which he appeared, he taught them many things concerning the kingdom. He began to do and to teach. He suffered. He appeared. He taught again. And then he was taken up. Great teacher, Jesus Christ. A great subject about the kingdom. And then a great event. He was taken up. Now think about this. He did, he taught, he did what he taught, and then he was taken up. Did you get that, Danny? (laughs) Danny's thinking about that. Because I want you to think about that. He did, he taught, he did what he taught, and then he was taken up. (laughs) And that's what Luke's saying. Great teacher, doing what he said he would do, and then he was taken up. Sometimes we think about great teachers that we've heard about down through the years, down through history. I'm going to give you just a couple of examples. I'm going to give you one ancient one and then one more recent one. And you think about great teachers and the influence, the impact that they've had on their students. The first one I'll mention is one you're probably familiar with is Aristotle. Remember him? 
an amazing Greek philosopher, an amazing thinker, teacher. He had a great impact, influence upon the world and those who taught. One of his students that we are probably most familiar with is Alexander the Great. Influenced by Aristotle. Wouldn't you have liked to have been that proverbial fly on the wall when a young man by the name of Alexander sat at the feet of Aristotle and what he was thinking as he heard him speak and the impact influence that he had on him. Alexander the Great was barely past 30 years old when he died. When he died. He had conquered much of the known world. And wherever he went, because of Aristotle, he took Greek influence, Greek learning, Greek teaching to those regions. And he influenced the world with Greek culture. A student influenced by a great teacher that had an impact and changed the world as they knew it at that time. Now I'll give you a more recent teacher. His name is Jamie Escalante. You ever heard of him? Marilyn says yes. (laughs) I won't ask you where, Marilyn. (coughs) Jamie Escalante was more more recent. He actually taught in a high school in, in, in East Louisiana, an underachieving school in East Louisiana. He was a math teacher, but he had a love of teaching and a passion for it. And he had a passion and a love for his students. And he wanted them to do well, wanted them to achieve. He wanted them to make his teaching to make an impact on their lives so that they would make an impact on the world. And he did. He took that low achieving school and brought it to national recognition. There was a movie made about him. You may have heard it. Stand and deliver. Stand and deliver. So he taught his students. But there was a time that they had to stand and deliver. So think about that. Aristotle influences Alexander the Great. He changes the world. Jamie Escalante influences these students and they are influenced by his teaching and they stand and they deliver. Great teachers down through history, but none compare with the teacher that we see in Acts the first chapter. And he will have an impact on his students and he wants his students to then impact the world. So in Acts chapter 1, what you see is you see the teacher, Jesus. But I want you to think about this. Now, this teacher is transformed by the glory and the power of the resurrection. This teacher is no longer teaching about what is going to happen to him. Now, He's teaching because of what he did and what happened to him. 
If you talk to astronauts, they will say it's one thing to talk about going to the moon. But it's another thing when you've been there and come back and then you talk about it. So in Acts chapter 1, it's the king. Think about that. It's the king who is teaching the curriculum about the kingdom. The kingdom of God. And ever since John the Baptist, when he came preaching and declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he was preparing them for the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has been front and center ever since. And what John introduced, Jesus then expanded upon. So the concept of the kingdom taught in the classroom of Judea and in Galilee. It is now being fully realized and lived out. And it's not just any kingdom that's being talked about. It's the kingdom of God that is being talked about. And it's not a physical, earthly kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. But nonetheless, it is a kingdom. Even more so, it is a kingdom. It has a king. It has a law. It has subjects. And it has a territory over which this king rules. In the parables which Luke mentions that he began to do and to teach. In the parables, Jesus had taught about the nature of the kingdom. Remember this? The kingdom of heaven is like a sower that goes forth sowing the seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking pearls. And he finds one of great price and he goes and sells all that he has so that he might purchase that one. Jesus taught about the nature of the kingdom. In the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about the ethics of the kingdom. Remember this? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember this? You have heard it said of old that thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that every man that looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The ethics of the kingdom. In the miracles that Jesus performed, he demonstrated the power of that king. <coughs> And he showed the renewal that the kingdom brings. Think about this. Jesus showed he had power over nature. He calmed the storm. Jesus showed he had power over disease. He healed the leper. Jesus showed that he had power over death. He raised Lazarus. 
Jesus shows he had power over the spirits. He cast them out. And he shows he has power over man by his moral teachings. Jesus is the same teacher that they've known for three years. But now, he's transformed. Transformed by his death and resurrection. The teacher is now different because he's done what he said he was going to do. And now the subject of the kingdom of God will be interpreted and applied differently. Because of his death and resurrection. Because previously when Jesus had spoken of the kingdom, he had spoken of it as the kingdom was coming. Remember that? When Jesus began to preach and to teach, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. But now, Because of his death and resurrection and soon to be ascension, the kingdom will no longer be spoken of prophetically. It will be talked about as a fact. It's here. The kingdom is no longer coming, it's now here. So as we take a look at Acts chapter 1, it's the teacher. It's the subject. Both have been transformed by by what has taken place. And so now, it's kingdom time. The kingdom is here. It's the teacher. It's the subject. It's the right time. In Acts 1, what you see is you see a classroom. And Jesus is the transformed teacher by what he has suffered and by what he has accomplished. And the subject, the curriculum is the kingdom of God. And it is being transformed from prophecy to reality. In Acts 1, the view of the kingdom becomes threefold. What you see in Acts 1 is the certainty of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, and the scope of the kingdom. What just happened? I'm going to try that again. The wonders of technology, right? Ah, now it works. <laughs> Who says miracles have ceased, right? <laughs> Okay, the certainty of the kingdom. I'm going to read verse 3 and 4 this time. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. 
Verse 3. After he had suffered and died and appeared. That's the timing that Luke is talking about there. And it's that timing that makes the difference. His appearing now demonstrates. Listen. His appearing now demonstrates the certainty of the kingdom. Because now he can be the king. He has accomplished what he said he was going to do. Think about this. Before the resurrection and before his appearing. When you think about the disciples, when you think about the apostles. At the crucifixion, they were frightened. And they were scared, they were anxious, they were confused. They even felt guilty after that. And so do you ever stop and think, do you ever wonder how many times in their minds did they replay those moments that they had with Jesus? Do you ever think they stopped after the crucifixion and they thought back during those days when they walked with Him and they talked with Him and they listened to His teaching and they saw His miracles? Or do you wonder if they ever thought about after the crucifixion that final week when early Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna? Do you ever wonder if they stopped and they thought again, reflected upon that evening when they ate the Passover together. And Jesus at that time told them, one of you will betray me. Do you ever think they reflected and they thought about when they went to the garden and Jesus asked them, stay here and pray. And when He came back, they were asleep. Do you ever think they thought about when he was arrested and then how in that moment they ran away? And then think about what their feelings were as they heard that mob that Friday morning shouting, crucify, crucify. And then the one who had been their leader was led away. And the Romans put him to death on a cross. But then, but then, three days later, there was a voice. A voice from the tomb. And that voice said, He's not here. He's risen. And that message was taken to the apostles. First one, and then another, until eventually they all heard that message. He's not here. He's risen. And Jesus appears to them. And at one time, he appears to over 500. 
And so Luke said he showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. Not once, not twice, but numerous times, over and over and over again. Demonstrating that their king has not been defeated, but rather he has conquered. And he's not just conquered. It's not the Romans. He has conquered their greatest enemy. And their greatest enemy is death. And if he's alive, then guess what else is alive? Hope is alive. And not only did Jesus appear to them, he made them a promise. Go wait in the city. And you will receive the promise of the Father. So during Jesus' ministry, he preached about the coming of the kingdom. And they thought with his death that hope was gone. But with the resurrection, the king was not defeated. He had conquered. And with his ascension, he's not abandoning them. He's going to take his rightful place on his throne. And so he tells them to go and wait in the city for the promise of the Father. And Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit and they will be clothed in power. The resurrection proves the certainty of the kingdom. And so at first, they thought things were falling apart. But now, they'll see everything's coming together just the way it's supposed to. But secondly, there's the power of the kingdom and that's what Jesus is promising them. Take a look at chapter or chapter 1, verse 6 through 8 this time. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so once again, we have to think about the timing and how the timing makes a difference. Previously, they had been baptized by John. Previously, they had shown their loyalty, their commitment to Jesus Christ when they left everything and they followed Him. But, At the same time, there were times when they doubted. There were times when they were confused about Jesus and about the kingdom. There were times when they were selfish and they argued among themselves over who would be greatest in the kingdom. But now comes the resurrection. And now, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom again. 
But yet, they still struggle. That's verse 6. Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still giving it a political spin. Is it this time, Lord, when you will finally erase the footprints of the Romans from our home soil? Is it this time when you will set up the throne of David and rule from Jerusalem? Is it at this time the world will see the coronation of our king? Acts 1 and verse 7. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know what just took place there? It's kind of like this. When you're in a classroom and the teacher's up there and he's trying to get some kind of point across and then some kid does something or somebody walks by the door and all of a sudden everybody's attention goes this way and you're like, back over here. (laughs) Up here, listen, focus, focus here. All of a sudden their attention went to Israel. (laughs) We're going to have a king. (laughs) And now, (laughs) and Jesus like, well, that, that's not the subject. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about right now is power. I want you to focus on power. There's a power that you're going to receive. That's where the focus needs to be. And the reason why you're going to receive this power is so that you can become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. <laughs> that's the focus. Not whether or not Israel once again is going to be some kind of world national power. No, the focus is on the power you're going to receive so that you can be witnesses of me. That's where the focus is. I want you to take that message to the world. There is a king. His name is Jesus. And he has a kingdom. And you can be a part of it. See what Jesus is wanting them to say. Or wanting them to see. You're going to have a power you never had before. <laughs> and we can kind of read between the lines. But I sometimes wonder. Was Jesus thinking. Do you remember. Hey gang. Do you remember before. When we were out there on the Sea of Galilee and a storm came up (laughs) and you all panicked because I was asleep. And then, do you remember even more recently (laughs) when we went to the garden and now I was in the midst of a crisis? And what did you do? You went to sleep. 
When I was asleep, you should have never panicked because you were with me. And when I asked you to stay awake and pray, you should have been praying. You got this all backwards. The Holy Spirit will come because I've been transformed. Before, I was preparing you and I was preparing for the kingdom. That was before I conquered death. The kingdom is now being transformed from prophecy to reality. And you will be transformed by the power of the Spirit. Before I said to you, O ye of little faith, but now with the Spirit, You won't run away. You'll be faithful unto death. Jesus had taught him about the Spirit in John 14 through 16, those chapters. And Jesus had also taught them on one occasion, if you as earthly fathers know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Before they didn't understand. After the resurrection. They'll come to know. The certainty of the kingdom. And they'll come to know. The power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon them. They'll know the power. Of the kingdom. But thirdly. They'll also come to realize the scope. Of the kingdom. Once again. Acts 1 verse 8. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utmost parts of the earth. The certainty of the kingdom. He's alive. The power of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit's coming. And then it moves to the scope of the kingdom. And once again, it's timing that makes a difference. So think back once again previously, before. Do you remember John, the fourth chapter? The Samaritan woman at the well. And here's Jesus and his disciples, the apostles, trekking their way through Samaria. That was a place that the Jews didn't go. And they had to be thinking, what are we doing here? (laughs) And why are we associating with these people? These people are corrupt and their religion is corrupt. So why are we here? Why are we here? What are we doing? But not only that, if you think about another occasion from Matthew the 15th chapter, there was a Canaanite woman that came because her daughter and she was asking Jesus to heal her. Do you remember what Jesus said to her? He said, I've just been sent 
to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, that's where my priority is. Do you remember what she said? She said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus was impressed by her faith. She understood. Yeah, my mission is first to the Jews. But you're going to benefit from it too. And Jesus healed her daughter. Jesus, I know your primary focus, where it is. But could you give me a little something? And he does. That was before the cross. That was before Jesus hung there and said, It is finished. That was before the resurrection. All that Jesus had done, all that he had taught, all that he had suffered, and the resurrection made possible and prepared the way for the coming of the work of the Spirit. And with the Spirit coming on the apostles, the message is now going to be carried to all the world. The gospel is now not going to be just for the Jews. The gospel will go global. Luke, in his final chapter, the 24th chapter, Jesus states that the message will start in Jerusalem. And it's like a pebble that's dropped in a pond and then because of the concentric circles it goes out from there and that's what he's saying. It's going to start in Jerusalem and it will go to Judea and then to Samaria and then then to the utmost parts of the world. And that's why Jesus will say in Mark 16, preach the gospel to every creature because now for everybody. And the book of Acts, as Brian mentioned in class this morning, (laughs) excited to study this book. Because in the book of Acts, we'll see how the Spirit drives the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the utmost parts of the world. The message of the King and the message of of the kingdom. Acts 1 is a transformed teacher, a transformed king, a transformed kingdom with transformed witnesses, with a transformed message. And that message will be carried on Roman roads to seaports and villages and cities small towns and synagogues and at one point Paul will stand in that Greek city of Athens and he will say that God declares all men everywhere now to repent and isn't it interesting 
Who nailed Jesus to that cross? It's the Romans. Oh, it was by the instigation of the Jews. We don't deny that. But it was Pilate said, so you're a king? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. But that's not the kind of kingdom that I've come to establish. He's establishing a spiritual kingdom. And oh yes, he is a king. And isn't it interesting that when the book of Acts closes, where's Paul sitting? He's sitting in the capital of Rome. And he has free reign to have visitors and all who want to come talk to him. And what does Luke say? That he's preaching? He's preaching the kingdom of God. It's also in Rome that Paul will write the Colossian letter. And you know what he'll say in Colossians 1 and verse 23? That the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven. 30 years. And the gospel has gone everywhere. Do you know what he also says in the book of Colossians as he writes to the church at Colossae? He says, you have been translated from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You were in darkness. But now you're in that kingdom. That's the certainty. That's the power. That's the scope of that kingdom. That God established. So you know what that tells us? It tells us that we can be a part. Because that message goes to the entire world. And that we can be a part of that kingdom. But you want to know what else Jesus taught about that kingdom? In Luke the 17th chapter... He said, the kingdom of God is within you. You can be a part of the kingdom and the kingdom is part of you. You can be in it because it is in you. So in Acts chapter 1, we see the certainty of the kingdom. We see the power of the kingdom and we see the scope of the kingdom. That's Acts 1, 1 through 11. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. You also have an opportunity to be a part of that kingdom. But Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, unless you are born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So you can be, through the water and the Spirit, a part of His kingdom.
Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We'd extend the king's invitation. If you're a child of God and not living as you should, you need to come back and make your life right with him. He's the king. It's his law. We are his subjects. The territory over which he wants to rule is your heart. The invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.